Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everyone, it's Brian. The real estate market is crazy. Finding an agent you can trust isn't easy. Thankfully, the one thing I'm more certain of than Brian Schottenheimer calling a running play on second and long is that you can trust John Hurlbut and his team in Altitude Homes. I know John personally, and nobody does it better in Pierce, South King, and Thurston County. So head on over to altitude-re.com HB to get real estate help you need. That's altitude-re.com HB. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. Again, that's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey all Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. Hello, everybody. I'm going to give folks a chance to get over here because I know it was a false start with our new setup. Um, hopefully, folks can hear us. I'm going to get over into that chat room as opposed to the old one. And hopefully, this is working as it always has in the past. Um, uh, Jeff and Evan, you want to say something really quickly? Brian, I can hear you from the UP. You are really quiet, Evan. Really yeah, I can't hear you at all, Evan. Brian, can you hear me? I can hear you just fine, Jeff. Can you hear me okay? Yes, there you are. Okay. Oh, so I was saying some really interesting things before that nobody heard. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say them again. Uh, <laughs> so we'll start by just saying emergency podcast tonight. Did not anticipate doing this. We are doing it because uh, there was some news. Uh, I think most of you heard the news and that's why you're here. Uh, we will get into that very shortly. But there's other news as well, which is that Google um, and YouTube in all their glory has decided to shut down this Hangouts on Air that we use to do the podcast. And that ends August 1st. So we have very little time. We just learned about it. And 
are now having to scramble to get a new setup for how we're gonna do the pod. And the good news is we've actually got some really exciting stuff. We're gonna be able to live stream across a bunch of different channels. We're gonna be able to have different types of layouts and cool snazzy things. It's gonna be great. We even think you'll be able to hear us talk, um, although you were not able to hear that tonight, or you were hearing double, you were hearing echoes. We're gonna figure that out. We had done some testing. Clearly that did not work out so well. Um, so we're gonna have to figure that out again. We might even need to um, uh, figure out um, you know, how to involve some of you in that testing to see <laughs> if it's working properly. Uh, anyway, so enough about that, but, but I do wanna say that, that um, as part of this transition, um, you know, Google Hangouts on Air was a wonderful free product that we were able to use. What we're using now and um, the ability to simulcast across a bunch of different accounts and um, do some of the, the newer stuff is not free. And, um, you know, that's just a reminder. We, we've always at Hawkblogger given away not only 100% of the proceeds from the charity, but I personally add on and try to match whatever we've raised. Um, and we give all that to Ben's fund. Um, as the show continues to grow and we add more people, we add folks like Cable Thanos, Josh, and uh, Will and uh, Rain City Series and some of the cool stuff they're doing and some of the editing that they're having to do to these shows, um, some of the highlights that they're doing. We're going to do some more cool content. Costs are definitely going up and we don't want the show to really be limited by my budget. So we'd really, really, really appreciate it if you guys could take one second, go over to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Hawkblogger, sign up as a patron, five bucks a month, um, super simple, really, really nice way for you guys to, to support. We are still absolutely going to give uh, a lot of money to charity, probably, hopefully it'll always be at least $10,000 a year. That's kind of my commitment. Um, I hope that it's always $20,000 a year, but we're gonna see. Um, but we wanna take some of the additional proceeds and invest that back into the show, bring you guys better content, better guests, better stuff altogether and also find ways to make the Patreon experience even better, bring people together for you know, uh, live um, uh, interaction um, to really build that community. Um, it's great to meet you guys all face to face. We also um, wanna do things like uh, add a, a new show, which we're going to do this year. We're gonna do a post-game reaction show that Evan's gonna drive. Uh, immediately following or closely following after Seahawks games um, all year long. And again, uh, all that comes with with new costs, new work, new stuff. Would really, really appreciate you guys joining up there. Uh, as little as five bucks a month. If you can do more, that's super helpful and I would super appreciate it. Um, if you're interested in being a sponsor for the show, you can do that as well. So um, that's on the Patreon side. If you can't do Patreon for some reason, you can't do the five bucks a month, um, there's other ways you can help. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, follow the, the social accounts, Real Hawk Talk, at Evan Hill SEA, at Hawk Blogger, at Real Jeff Simmons, um, at Nathan E11. All that stuff's helpful. Um, uh, subscribe at YouTube. Subscribe on a, uh, a podcast account. Or even just give us a review. Um, take a few seconds and give us a review. Five-star reviews are great. If it's less than five stars, then maybe let us know what's wrong, and then we'll hopefully get you up to five stars. But um, uh, again, I will uh, drop the link here in, someone's asking on the chat for the link. Um, and there it is, patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Um, we added about, I don't know, five, six, seven new people yesterday. 
Um, and uh, really excited to get a bunch more of you involved. I think our, our goal is to get a few hundred, three, 400 of you subscribed um, and really, really build a, a thriving Seahawks community of people that take care of each other and really just have a, a really fun time uh, enjoying the Seahawks all year. So, um, and for those that are saying they're broke, I get it. Again, you can leave a review, you can subscribe, you can even just click play and listen to a bunch of different the podcast episodes. All that stuff helps the, the show grow. All right. With all that aside, let's talk for a second, fellas. Let me introduce the fellas. We've got uh, Evan Hill at Evan Hill SEA on Twitter. How you doing, Evan? I'm doing well. Can you hear me? Is my mic not too too shallow? Can you hear me okay? We can hear you just fine. Can you hear my beautiful my, – oh, my – I almost said my beautiful face. I have a lot – know that's how you feel. I have a beautiful face. I also have a beautiful voice, and there will be many beautiful podcasts this season. I'm super excited. Yes. All those things. Uh, I don't know about the face so much. I'll leave that to Alex. Um, and then we've got uh, Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. How you doing, dude? I'm all right, man. We had a good uh, hour chat, me and Evan, before. We were getting ready to go. We're back on Google Hangouts. Hopefully, you guys can see me and hear me again. It's the new computer, so yeah, man. You're like crystal. Crystal clear audio. It is. It is so nice. I don't. I'm not waiting for you to like freeze and drop off. It's gonna be great. I know. I talked to you guys for a full hour without any hiccups. So twice in a row. So let's see if we can get through another one. All right. Well, so there's only a, a few things that would cause me to want to do an emergency pod the night before I fly out to Alaska to to pull salmon out of the Kenai River, and one of them happened today. On our last podcast, fellas, we spent time talking about uh, a bunch of the different position groups. And we specifically talked about the defensive line and that there were some concerns. Um, I was pretty concerned. I felt like I was pretty thin. Jeff and Nathan were like, I think it might be a little bit better than you think. And there was basically three people on the podcast that were saying we should not sign Jaron Reed to a hefty extension. We should trade him. And one person who was saying that we should and that, gosh, if, if we didn't have Jaron Reed, what would we have? Um, he's the best player on that line. He's the guy that's got some proven production on that line. Um, you know, Ezekiel Lanza aside, he's an injury risk. We don't know what we're going to get there yet. And lo and behold, the Seahawks are without Jaron Reed. Uh, it has happened. News broke today that Jaron Reed will be suspended um, for the first six games of the season. And uh, the suspension is due to violating the NFL's personal conduct policy, which uh, in this case is related to, um, I believe, a domestic violence uh, charge that happened back in 2017. So um, it dropped like a bomb and and uh, I didn't get to read much about it because I was out um, on the links, um, basically destroying golf courses. But uh, Evan, you're the one that texted me as soon as it happened. What have you learned so far um, uh, when you were reading up on the news? Yeah, so there was a really, really good um, Seattle Times report by uh, Bob Condotta that just came out literally a few hours ago, and I'm pulling it up just because I think it it actually adds some new details to the to um, the already sort of I don't want to say hush hush, but 
there were a lot of fans that were completely unaware of an incident that even occurred in 2017. It was very much kind of brushed under the rug. It didn't get a lot of national media attention. And we just kind of forgot about it, honestly, for a couple of years. But today there were there were some really interesting details added to the police report publicly. And I just wanted to read some of them just because I think it's really, really important. So let me just start from here. The report states that the police were called to Reed's Bellevue residence at 3.06 a.m. on April 27th, 2017, when a woman whose name is redacted but is a, identified as a 21-year-old black 5 foot 2 inches and 140 pounds female called to say she had just been dragged out of the re residence by the owner of the house. Reed is identified as the homeowner. The report states Reed had been having a party that night and police had been called at 12.49 a.m. for a noise complaint, after which the residents said they would quiet the party down. The woman said in the report that she and Reed had been dating for about a month and Reed had paid to fly her in from Atlanta. They got into an argument, according to the report, when another woman identified as a stripper said at the party that she had been um, having a relationship with Reed. As the argument escalated, the report states the first woman claimed Reed grabbed her by the throat and pulled her into the connected bedroom and then released her. Um, so outside of those new details, I don't... I, you know, for any listeners that don't remember this, there was also some public facing Instagram posts in 2017. It, I think it, I think it was either a month or two after after this incident, you know, broke to the public of some images of uh, of uh, this woman's injuries. Now, this woman's injuries um, in this Instagram account are not public today. You know, either I, I believe the posts were deleted and also the account was deleted. Don't know what's going on there. Privacy reasons, I assume. But um, the, the images were graphic and they were not fun to look at. This is clearly a horrifying situation and a horrifying allegation. So, um, I think suffice to say, I'm super, super disappointed, not just from like, uh, Hey, I'm disappointed in Jaron Reed. I'm super disappointed in looking solely at the football side of things. I'm super disappointed that he will be gone because this position group really, really needs him. And I want to be clear, that's not the priority here. Football's not the priority here. The well-being of the victim is the priority here. But both in the football worlds and also in the in the justice world here, it's really, really disappointing, especially for a player like Jaron Reed, who a lot of fans, and including myself in this, expected Jaron to be sort of taking on a leadership role into this team. You know, Richard Sherman is gone. Cam Chancellor is gone. Earl Thomas is gone. Um, Frank Clark is gone now, just traded to the Chiefs. There's not a ton of, you know, big defensive leadership voices out there outside of Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright, especially when it came to this defensive line group. They were looking for somebody to step up into that leadership role. So I think I'm just profoundly disappointed. Yeah, Jeff, there's a lot there. Um, when we look at this position group, um, we'll get into that in a second, but uh Talk for a little bit. One, just what was your reaction when you heard this news? Um, it was, yeah, like you described, Brian, it was similar to a bombshell. Um, honestly, I haven't been that surprised by any piece of Seahawks news, really, maybe since like the Jimmy Graham trade and after the Super Bowl. Like, I didn't see this coming from a mile away. We were talking last week about whether he should get $18 million a year or not. To hear that he's suspended six games completely caught me off guard put a complete wrench in my Monday, completely changed my whole day, honestly. 
And really my response is I'm just left with a lot of questions. Um, Evan did a very good job there detailing what he had learned, what Bob did, kind of stuff he had seen on Instagram in the past. And it's hard for me to comment on that side of things. So I'm going to stick to the football perspective. That's where I'm more comfortable. And really, I'm just left again with a lot of questions. Question one, um, what took a suspension or an incident from 2017 to now? What led to a suspension in 2019? Number two, why did Tyreek Hill get zero games and Jaron Reed get six? And I'm not trying to make light of anything that Jaron Reed did or anything that he allegedly did, but how does the NFL come up with these continuous arbitrary rules where there's no process and how do things keep getting made up as they go along? Where is the, just, there's no line in the kind of demarcation. There's no real consistency in any means. And it's happened to so many other teams. There was the Sean Payton stuff years ago. There's been stuff with Zeke Elliott. Just finally now the Seahawks are one of those teams that it just feels like to an extent on the football side, I don't want to, say he shouldn't have been suspended because I don't know the details, but it feels like they got screwed to an extent. And the fact that it came so close to training camp after an off season. Yeah. So I'm just left with a lot of questions. What, why now after an incident that happened in 2017 at the end, the police didn't charge or didn't arrest. So he wasn't convicted. So how do they come to that? When Ian Rappaport said he had some like light to shed in the incident, he just posted incredibly vague information. There was nothing clear. I know maybe that's a legal thing. I don't know, but there's nothing. All we were left with was very vague points. And just from the football perspective, we spent a lot of time talking about Gerald McCoy, Sue, why having an abundance of riches there would be really, really valuable for a team that didn't have a lot of answers. And, and now, just to, and just to interject on this, Jeff, just a quick point that I forgot to mention that you that you were about to dive into. He lost his appeal officially today so the nfl made this decision not he didn't to lose his appeal he was denied an appeal oh i thought he lost an appeal my sure about that? what i read was that his appeal request was denied really yeah it's hard to tell what the wording of that meant because it could it could mean either either of you are correct yeah, I, I don't know that that's even the most interesting thing. Yeah, to, to me, about. I mean, who really cares? No, it's I'm just the same. Yeah. I yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, really, I'm just left with questions. Why now? Why did they come up with this six-game number? How does this impact the Jaron Reed negotiations that we were talking about last week and on the field? How do the Seahawks get by? And Warren Sharp tweeted out their first six games. We're going to talk about that later when we do our prediction show. But they're facing the Saints the Steelers, the Rams on a short week, and the Browns in the first six games of the season. So now a group that we talked about in depth last week is now without probably their best player and Ziggy Ansah when you add him to the mix, who's completely uncertain. This defense just went from, as they say, zero to 100. Yeah, I mean, 100 to zero. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whatever yeah. Uh, Jeff so you guys said a lot that that I don't think I need to repeat. Um, and definitely agree with the notion that in these situations, we're all sports fans. And what we care about in general is how it's going to affect the Seahawks and our team and those things. And I, I, I get that. And that's where we'll focus. Obviously, 
something happened here. There's a reason police were involved. There was a pretty good, you know, detailed police report. And there's a saying that uh, an old mentor of mine had at Adobe. Um, uh, he's a exec that had been there a long time and was an Apple before that. And anytime you'd run into somebody that it's just is like, why did they do that? It just makes no sense at all. And he'd always say, don't flip the bozo bit. Don't assume that the person's an idiot on the other side. Assume that there's information you don't have and that they made a decision based on the information they had that you don't. And so I think that's pretty appropriate in this situation where, look, the easy thing to say is that the NFL is arbitrary and that they, they don't know what they're doing and they're all over the place. I think it's probably more likely that the NFL has information uh, that we don't and are making decisions based on the information they have. And that could be the case both in the Tyreek Hill situation and in this situation. I don't know. Um, I find that hard to, I find that hard to reason with here. Well, say more about that. They have a long history of making decisions without any patterns. Some of the smartest people who work for the league have been questioning on this for years that Goodell needs to remove himself from the process that there's no at all consistency in terms of how they view. Like there was a big incident with Josh Brown years ago before they changed their domestic violence policy. And just, there's been since really Goodell's been in charge. There's been a history of this where some of the smartest guys who work for the league, Andrew Brands talked about this a lot. They're lawyers, like lawyers from outside. There's been a lot of, this has been a consistent theme about the Goodell administration and, Again, I don't want to say we got screwed because we didn't deserve it. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I would like some uniform process and not due process, just consistent measure of what indicates a suspension and what doesn't. Yeah, I, and I, it's not that there's no chance that, that, that the NFL is doing arbitrary, silly things. I think that there's absolutely reason to believe that that could be the case as well. But I just I think it's really dangerous to assume that we have all the information and that that what we, what we know is makes this fair or unfair. So fair. as far as whether it's fair or not, I'm just kind of like over that. Like I don't I don't get. I definitely can say I don't understand how you have the evidence that was public about the Tyree Kill situation and he has no suspension. Thank you. Thank I don't understand you. that. And well, that's and, kind of my point. Right. So I'm going with I don't understand as opposed to that it's totally arbitrary. Um, you know, smart information that we don't have potentially on, on the read side. So um, that said, guys, this is a this is a big impact to how the team plays. And right now, I mean, we don't even really know what the starting four for the defensive line was going to be. You know, Jaron Reed was the one certainty. Um, there's questions about whether, you know, the assumption was Puna Ford was probably going to start next to him, but it could have been Al Woods and could have been, you know, somebody else. Uh, and then on one side on the five tech, I don't think we really know. It could be Rasheem Green. It could be LJ Collier. It could be, you know, those are Quentin Jefferson potentially. Um, and then on the other side, you hope it's Ezekiel Ansa, but if he's hurt, uh, it could be Rasheem Green. It could be maybe Jacob Martin, but I don't know. But anyway, these are all huge questions at every position now. Like there's no position on the defensive line that you know who is going to be the starter when the season starts. And I guess 
I don't know who the obvious replacement is for Jaron Reed. There's a lot of people in chat talking about um, Naz Jones. And I, I don't know. I mean, they want Naz Jones to play five tech. He did play inside before, but you know, Jaron Reed is essentially, he's been, he's been a nose before. And with, if Puna Ford was going to start, it was going to be Jaron Reed who's going to be more of a three tech. Um, but look, there's base defense. I think in nickel defense, this isn't as big of a deal. Honestly, like it, it, it is a big deal. He was our a meaningful pass rusher, but there's a lot of guys. LJ Collier, Rasheem Green, Quentin Jefferson, um, uh, even Naz Jones, Demarcus Christmas. Like There's a bunch of guys that could go on the inside. I just don't know what their base defense is going to look like. And so – one of my questions, there's reports that Ataba Rubin was a guy that they were sniffing around as a veteran that they could pull in. And uh, I'm wondering if that gets more. But, you know, if you have Ataba Rubin and Puna Ford, they're not both. They can't both start. They're both essentially the same player. So I still think there is a question about who would be their other starter. And I'm guessing it's going to be Al Woods. Um, and that is a huge <laughs> drop off. From Jaron Reed to Al Woods. Jeff, do you have any uh, other thoughts there or predictions or, or how you see them handling it? Yeah, just to get a little background about Woods. He's a very different player than Jaron Reed. He is a big, big run stuffer. And almost probably a complete zero in the pass rush department. Maybe he can move the pile a bit, but he's not the kind of upfield penetrator that Jaron Reed is. It doesn't have... That is just not part of his game. He's a the kind of guy the Seahawks have liked historically in this defense that they can just come in, play two downs, eat up the run. But to lose, go from Reed to him is just you're losing a major element of your game, the pass rush and the interior pass rush, and you don't have Frank Clark on the outside now. We all love that trade, but not having either of those guys who are two Pro Bowl-level players and going with essentially like the 2010 version of the Seahawks defensive line in the middle – it's, it's a hard pill to swallow for a team we thought was in like a playoff window. It's, it's just hard to reconcile with what they look like now on a group we were very, very skeptical about last week. Well, so Evan, here's some names. You know, I want to look from a, a free agency standpoint and from a cap standpoint that are interesting. So I don't know what the situation is with Corey legit. Um, they worked them out now. But did they? I believe there was something with them. He's 29. He has been a good player and he's a decent comp for someone like Jaron Reed. He's a two-way player, does get some push as a, as a pass rusher. I don't know why he's not signed. Maybe it's an injury situation or something else. So, Alan Bailey's another guy from he just Kansas signed State. tonight. He just signed. Ugh. So to interrupt for a second on uh, April 17th, the Seahawks worked out, Legit on the same day as Al Woods. They chose to sign Al Woods. Okay. So that could give them the background to make a move there. Um, there's another name that should ring a bell. Muhammad Wilkerson is still available. He's 30 years old. Um, has been a difference maker at times. Um, I would McDonald, 32 years old. Um, I mean, they have to, right? This position group with Jaron Reed was probably still the weakest position group on the team. Would you guys disagree? Uh, defensive line as a whole, 
Yes, yeah. the defensive line as a whole with Jaron Reed was that still the worst position group on the squad? Probably. I really don't like the safeties, but yeah, I, fair. But now you take Jaron Reed away. That yeah. is one weak <laughs> position group. I mean, are you relying on Rasheem Green to be an every down contributor? Like, there's going to be some opportunity here for the young guys, and I'm excited about seeing some young talent. But honestly, there's going to be a huge drop off, and uh, I just, I, I have some big picture philosophical concerns in terms of how they play football and how this is going to, you know, affect game days. But this is this is a massive loss. Yeah. So I mean, um, Benny Logan is another name. Um, 29. I mean, there are some decent veterans or at least guys that have been decent in the past that are still out there. Legit is a guy that uh, he at one point was a, a pretty good starter. Um, Wilkerson's another guy that had a pretty good upside. Um, I don't Eddie, know. Lacey? Eddie Lacey could play DT for us. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, saying, if we're getting desperate, if we're okay, too far, Brian. Too far. Truth hurts, dude. Um, Is Marcus Tubbs still around? Uh, yeah. Well, well, there's a guy named Aziz Shitu, and based on this situation, he might be the perfect fit. <laughs> uh, Tom Johnson, 36-year-old Tom Johnson. Oh, you want him back? We're so fucked. You want to pay him again for another game? Um. Yeah, so, guys, I mean, this is it, – so it is six games. It is not the whole season. So that, that it is important to kind of get some perspective there. Uh, you know, I do think that they, um, they're going to struggle. No, there's no doubt about it, figuring out how to replace him. But, like, Reed, Jaron Reed before this past season was like a – one and a half to two sack guy. He was yeah. a run stuffer. But we and, had Bennett and Averill. And but no, but no, listen. So on the inside, on the interior, they didn't have much to pair. Like it was, it was, it was Jaron Reed and Ataba Rubin or Jaron Reed and Tony McDaniel. Like they had like two run stuffers. So they have spent time where they had two run stuffers on base defense. And they, they have multiple run stuffers. Jamie Mater is a guy I was actually interested in. I said it in the last show. I'm not inventing it for this show. They got him from Cleveland. They signed him as an early free agent. I think he's got some potential. I think him, Al Woods, and Puna Ford, those might be your three guys to start with. And maybe they add a, a, a fourth veteran. And then maybe, maybe, like, this is a big opportunity, I think, for some of the guys farther down the roster. Maybe someone surprises Maybe DeMarcus Christmas, draft pick. Maybe he surprises. Maybe Brian Monet, the guy that's 366 pounds. Maybe he surprises like uh, JT Tweely. I mean, it, it definitely creates opportunity. I also think Quentin Jefferson is a guy that has played defensive tackle. I A lot of people keep talking about Naz. I think Quentin Jefferson would get snaps and defensive tackle before Naz Jones. But, you know... I'm not sure. It depends on on how they want to play. So, if I'm if I'm really trying to channel Pete Carroll and and John Schneider and how they handle these types of situations, I think their first 
thing is they're going to try to roll and see with who they with roll who they've got and see how that plays. And they're going to want to see them the first week and they're going to pay a lot of attention there. And two, I think that they're going to bring in a veteran. I think they'll sign a vet. They'll try to find somebody that they can bring in and add to the competition. Um, and their hope will be that that veteran doesn't make the roster. Their hope will be that one of the younger guys steps up and that they'll start the first six games of the season with run stuffing interior defensive tackles without a lot of penetration. And then on nickel packages or in pass rush situations, you're going to see guys like Rasheem Green, Jerry, uh, LJ Collier, um, you know, um, Quentin Jefferson, if he makes it, um, Nas Jones, potentially those guys could in those situations swim inside and, uh, and add there. So I would say the, the biggest outcome of this is fellas, Ezekiel Ansa's health just became that much more important. If he's out for the first six weeks on PUP, And have people looked at our opponents the first six weeks? You want to I, go through them? Yeah, I, I have them up right here. First week, home against the Bengals. Not, I don't think that's a huge challenge. Second week, probably the best offensive line in the NFL, the Steelers in Pittsburgh. Week three, the Saints, another good offensive line. Week four, Arizona Cardinals, not a good offensive line. Week five, the Rams, and then week six, the Browns. So three out of those six teams probably have – top five offensive line units how many of those games are at home that is a great question it is i think it's three it is three yeah look i mean the seahawks at home what is that what else does this do it shifts even more pressure to the seahawks offense yeah uh, russell wilson that offense they have to be great they can't be like searching for themselves and just be okay they've got to be absolutely a top five scoring offense right out of the gates. And that was not the way they started last year. They started with two total mistake games. And I know uh, run analytics says it's because of the defenses they've played. I think it was other reasons, um, but in any event, they found themselves and they're going to have to, they're going to have to start better this year. They just are going to have to start better and they better, they have to win that first game against the Bengals. Like at all costs, that's a huge game. So, um, look, I, I think your goal in this situation is to get out of those first six games three and three. And even when you look at the Browns, they're not a gimme in week oh. six. Oh, no, not at all. They are not. Do not look at, like Seahawks fans, do not look at week six and be like, oh, easy win against the Browns at, is that at home? No, that's actually in Cleveland. That's in Cleveland. That's in no, the, no, that's, that is not a <laughs> That is not an easy win. Oh, no. With Beckham and Landry and Baker against our corners and pass rush, that's a scary <laughs> matchup, man. Yeah. Uh, well, there could also be a trade. Oh, if John Schneider makes another, like, Sheldon. Oh, John, don't even think about it if you're listening. I will personally. I'm not going to finish that sentence, but don't make, not... a... don't make a trade, a bad trade, John Schneider, please. <laughs> Yeah, don't make the Sheldon Richardson trade. Come up with the Kelly Jennings for Clinton McDonald trade. <laughs> say that's, he has some choice that he he knows how to handle that. Situation. Yeah, trade Jamar Taylor for a starting player. Come on. So I I am gonna do a quick look here on uh, four three defensive tackles. Um, they like trading with New England. 
Uh, and let's look at 2019. Kawan Short. Is he? I, I don't know how, where he is in his contract. I mean, Geno Atkins, Kawan Short. These are guys at the top of the... But this is the reality. You you don't make a trade for a six-game suspension. You know what I mean? Like, if he's out all year, maybe. But and, and really, when John Schneider and Pete Carroll look in the mirror, is this team like a Super Bowl contender? No. <laughs> no, they're not. They can't, <laughs> like, be, they can't be yet. Exactly. And you don't make a desperate trade like this, or even really a trade to give up a lot of draft cap. Oh, that's why I said a low end. Yeah, no, I I just don't, I don't even think it makes sense. Just roll with the younger guys, see what you get out of them. And like Brian said, hope you come out three and three out of that six game stretch. Yeah. Uh, Realistically, the way they look at this internally, just from dealing with football teams, they just look at this as like an injury. Like anyone could get injured in training camp. There's been that Percy Harvin where everyone was going crazy when he showed up first day on PUP that's the way they view it. What you're saying, Evan, is probably correct. Like they look at this as he could tweak something. I'd be out six weeks. Now the preseason gets a lot more interesting. You know, the, the trade piece, I don't think it's likely they're going to go get a big name. That's yeah. That's the reasons saying. you guys mentioned, but John Schneider's made trades at the end of uh, preseason pretty much every year. And a lot of those have been his better moves. Justin Coleman was a great example. Um, got him from the Patriots for next to nothing. And, and that's worked out really well. He's done that a few times. And I think that there's reason to believe that there'll be a defensive tackle out there that, the you know, on the edge of someone's roster, you know, we should be looking at teams that have great defensive lines and are stacked and, the likelihood that someone good is going to get try to get stashed on their practice squad and gets cut, that's where you look. And that's where John Schneider will look. And and uh I think that does that does seem like a likely scenario that we'd see something like that happen. Um but I, I do have to, I mean, I, you know, I've been relatively not critical during the show, but guys, I mean, how much how many times did I bring up during the off season that they were so close to just finishing a great off season? They need to do one more thing. What was the one thing I said that they should do? I don't remember. <laughs> Does anybody on this show listen to me? Mm, sometimes. Sometimes. How many times? You and I talked about it multiple times. Yeah. We talked about Gerald McCoy so many times. He seemed to fit so perfectly. We talked about Sue during our free agency shows. Those are the two. Sue went to Tampa. Sue went to Tampa. That team's going nowhere. And he got $9 million Yeah. For a one-year deal. And, guys, we absolutely had that cap space to spend. And instead of having that peace of mind – and, by the way – not only did I think that they should do that regardless, like without knowing, they knew this was going on at that point. The team was aware that this was a possibility and they did not sign another defensive tackle. Like what the hell? To follow up on my previous note, Brian, he, he actually did appeal and he was denied. So the team has, no, so this has been an ongoing process for at least several weeks with the team probably knowing months ago. I mean, the team knows has known for years because it was a 2017 incident, and for them to 
for them to be aware that this could happen and to not sign a veteran defensive lineman during free agency when they had the cap space, honestly, that is a really, really questionable decision. I, you know, I could go further than that, but I'll stick with that. It, it is, it is worth some real criticism for them to not have put more thought into that. And uh, now on the flip side, you have to think if they knew this was a possibility and they didn't sign a free agent defensive tackle when there were good ones available, even late in free agency after the draft, Sue didn't sign till like late. McCoy didn't sign till late. That means that they they're planning to roll with what they've got. Like that's what it looks like. Um, and if not, if now all of a sudden now they're going to get like super active and like do something crazy, that would be really boneheaded. That would be really bad. So um, yeah, it's, it's uh watching the secondary work with minimal pass rush is going to be an interesting thing to watch this year. So Here's a question for you guys. With the way they want to play, run the ball, control the clock, limit chances, how do you play with a defense potentially this bad? How do you play that style? Well, I mean, one, I think they're definitely going to to continue. I mean, anybody that was hoping, me being one of them, that they were going to maybe open up the offense a little bit more, this is reason why they could probably get even – farther into their shell and and be really conservative. I think that um, it also, I think it, I, I was actually thinking about writing an article on this today um, and I just didn't get a chance, but I think that cornerback group could be one of the most important groups in the whole roster. To, and if, I, I think it's realistic it's not just that you hope. I think it's realistic to expect Shaquille Griffin and Trey Flowers to be meaningfully better than they were last year. And if that's the case, that's a big deal. There's actually a lot of mounting evidence that coverage is more important than pass rush. And so if you're able to cover better than they were, and they were not good at coverage last year, if they're able to cover better, that realistically could happen. And if that happens, then the defense could get better. If the safety position, if they get a better safety in there than Tedrick Thompson, Bradley McDougal's already Pro Bowl level safety. If they get another safety that's better than Tedrick Thompson, that's another chance for coverage and secondary to be better. The linebacker group is the best group on the roster. So you're going to have three really talented, really fast players who also all excel in coverage. So you could be setting up for a really excellent coverage team. That would be the hope. And the defensive line really needs to stop the run, get teams into obvious passing situations. And then we've already talked about they have some options when they get into pass rush situ in obvious passing situations. I think that the, the real challenge here is in their base defense, where you want to be able to have a little pass rush and a little bit of run stuffing. They don't have as many of those guys. Like, there's not as many two-way – I don't think they have any of those guys on the interior without Jaron Reed. Man, Nathan would have loved to hear you say that coverage over pass rush thing. Well, I only say it when he's not around. Yeah, well, we won't tell him. Yeah. 
Well, see, here's the difference is, is some of us actually listen and are eager to learn all that stuff, but we don't like lord it over people. Like somehow we're, you know, on Mount Olympus for having learned or read those things. Hold on. There's not one way to do things. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the world is black and white. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Fair, um, fair. Yeah. Yeah. So look, that's, uh, that's where I see it, fellas. I mean, what... What other angles should we cover before we uh, we wrap this thing up? I guess the extension. Like, does this change? Ah, good point. Yeah, like, where does this leave him with the organization? What's his negotiating power? You can't tell me. So one thing that you can't change about this situation is that in the NFL's eyes, he has one strike against him. Okay, so that's not changing. If he gets a second strike, isn't that like a 12-game suspension and then – third game or third strike. I don't, I don't point being, it gets like exponentially worse. And he already has one strike against the personal conduct policy on his career with the NFL. That's a huge deal. I was personally very much looking forward towards a reasonable extension with him just because I think he's a leadership. He was a leadership piece on this team, especially on the defense. Wait, 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 dude. Last week, like a few days ago, you were like team trade, Jaron Reed, you were not looking for, for the right price. Extent. For the right price. For the right price. <sighs> Dude, I had an out, Brian. I had an out if you listened. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. The opinions are fluid. Yeah, no, they do change, but honestly, this this thing jeopardizes everything. Like I I, I don't know if you I don't know if you let him walk after a tag, you tag and trade him. It'd be nice to get some sort of value better than a third round comp pick when he leaves. Jeff, I, I don't know. But the first thing I said, I was <laughs> so when I was at the golf place, uh, I was talking to the guys and like, hey, you guys Seahawks fans? And they're like, Yeah. And I said, Did you hear the news? And they're like, Oh God. I broke it to them. And I was like, the only good potential upside here is maybe the Seahawks are able to sign him at a, a more reasonable deal um, than, than they were before. I, as I think about it, there's no reason for Jaron Reed and his side to want to sign an extension right now. So I think the chances of him being extended prior to the season are zero, very close to zero. And he will want to be on the field to be able to prove his value before he even enters into that. And I think the likelihood that he's going to want to sign an extension during the season is probably pretty low. It's also pretty low likelihood that he's going to be able to do enough this year to warrant a really big deal. So the way I look at it is I think this really increases the likelihood of the Seahawks re-signing Jaron Reed next year for a one-year deal. Mm. Interesting point. I think he will want to approve it deal that gets him back out on the um, back out in free agency. And maybe they'll have like a player option part of the deal or something, but um, that would be my guess. Um, the team wants him here. I think I just think that the, the price was going to be exorbitant and I think they're going to get him on a reasonable deal next year. Yeah. Yeah. It could be. That's kind of what they were hoping with Frank Clark. Then the price just got out of control. And then it doesn't seem like. All I see is an opportunity for Jermaine Ifedi to get $17 million a year. Oh, my God. Okay, who wants the optimistic retake? 
<laughs> I'm I'm petrified that they will extend him. I'm absolutely petrified. Well, yeah. there were a couple of calls in in the chat for uh, Schneider to flip Jermaine Effetti and get a uh, defensive tackle for him. And I mean, I'll take an in and out burger in 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 compensation. Like there you go, George. Like, oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, let me be really clear. I'm glad you're not our GM for many reasons. I'd make great decisions. For, okay, first of all, I would not let Earl Thomas walk without getting any value. Sorry, wouldn't. I'd be an asshole. We got okay, maybe we want him as GM. <laughs> we got a third round pick. Um. So I do want to take. Well, sorry, no, I'll do this at the end. But uh, Jeff, I mean. Is there any any reason to think that Jaron Reed's going to sign a contract before the end of the season? Uh, probably not. Probably not. There's so much dependent now on his performance and how he responds in the locker room, what his leadership's like. It's going to be interesting. You're getting him angry and you're getting him fresh, which is kind of could work in a positive if they can tread water. Three and three is a good example. The Seahawks never start out well. Even the Super Bowl years, things got a little sketchy up first. Uh, so really, if he plays out of his mind in the final 10 games, maybe in December, but realistically, the answer is no. Yeah, I think I think that – I think it's – one of the things I had said about why I was so pro-signing Reed to an extension, um, even at the numbers that we were talking about, is he had done everything right. He had stayed healthy. He had been a run stuffer the way he was supposed to be. He had become a pass rusher. He had approved every season. He had been a locker room leader. I mean, he checked all the boxes. This is a pretty big red flag. Um, not only the fact that he's suspended for six games, but this is a pretty bad situation off the field. You know, what whatever whatever went on there. I mean, if you put your hands on another human being, let alone someone who's far weaker than you are, that's, that's a big deal. And, you know, look, when Frank Clark was drafted, everybody was very up in arms about the Seahawks doing that. And John Schneider was very clear about that. If there's ever any evidence of a player putting their hands on a woman that he would not have them on the team. And they did, they said they did research on Frank Clark. They believe that, that, you know, they got sufficient evidence that the situation wasn't what was reported. And Frank Clark, as far as we know, had been essentially a, a model citizen, um, so to speak, since he was drafted. Now you got Jaron Reed, who maybe hasn't been. And what does that mean? Um, is there a chance that, we're all talking about extending them. Maybe the Seahawks, the reason they haven't extended them this far is because they're not planning to. Uh, if they believe, if their evidence is that this is what they think happened, they're not going to cut him, but um, maybe they're going to let him play out his year and let him walk. And if that's the case, God, this is a triple kick in the ass because not only do you not get him and you don't get to, to keep um, that kind of talent, but you're not going to get good comp in return. Even he's not going to sign a huge deal next year. So you're not going to get a third round comp pick or anything like that. So 
Uh, yeah, it's a it is a kick in the crotchal region um, for Seahawks fans, um, and uh, there's no another way around it. So, um, fellas, uh, I cannot wait to get back. Um, I can't honestly wait to go to uh, fish, but I cannot wait to get back and start telling you what I'm seeing um, on the field and starting to get some some real information to, to, you know, involved in these conversations about what we're seeing out there. Um, and then, uh, will it's going to be a really interesting camp. There's a lot of open questions and uh, a lot of opportunity for new faces to step forward. Uh, I do want to take a second as we close out the show, a uh, huge shout out to uh, Derek G um, and Harrison Seitz. Both became patrons during the show. Uh, really, really, really appreciate that, guys. Um, super, super helpful. Um, we might even find out a way to have sound without echo in our next show um, with, with your help and, and your contributions. So thank you. Um, for folks that haven't already, please head over to Patreon, patreon.com slash hawkblogger. If you didn't hear at the beginning, we will no longer be able to use Hangouts. Google is getting rid of it and they're not replacing it. And we're having to spend a decent chunk of change to, to find a, an adequate replacement. We're also getting more shows and more content that we're creating. There's going to be a, a post-game reaction show that Evan's going to start and we're going to do. Um, uh, Cable Thanos has got great stuff planned for the year. Uh, Will Cornell, Rain City Series has got some good stuff. They're also helping with production and, and editing and all that kind of stuff that, that also costs. So... Um, really, really, really would appreciate you guys supporting the show. We will continue to give to charity, but we also need to invest in the show and get you guys better content and just have more fun. So head on over to patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Join up, join the crew, and we promise to make that a wise investment for you. We're going to make it fun um, and really find more and more ways to, to make the Patreon experience great. So uh, guys, try to get some sleep. Take a swig of your favorite thing or a hit of your favorite thing or whatever it is you do and and get some sleep. Sun will rise tomorrow. We will find somebody to be excited about soon enough. DK Metcalf, maybe he can he can slide over. He's pretty strong. Maybe he can be a defensive tackle for us. Go get a burger. <laughs> Something will work out. Go get a burger. Burger master. On the east side, go get burger master. Yes. Oh, of course. Why are you not already at burger master? And then go over to manifestfit.com and get in shape. Um, and then buy a new house in Pierce, South King, or Thurston County at Altitude Homes, um, three of our sponsors. So all those things are great and they're available for you. So take care, everybody. Love you all and uh, peace out. Go Hawks.